friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series called Encounters. With this series comes a lot of familiar stories. And one of the many things that we fight against in our world today is like, I think, familiarity. Like when we get too familiar with something, it can lead to a lack of attention. And then with that comes the absence of fresh insight. We just get bored. We, oh, I know this story. And, and we check out. And my prayer is that we would fight against familiarity, uh, not just today, but through this series, and we would engage with the story with curiosity and freshness. So Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see what you're doing, ears to hear what you're saying, and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. Yeah, today we engage the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, when told, this story's predominantly been about two things, at least how I've heard it. The rich and the self-righteous, and how both of them suck. Both interpretations offer certain insights, but with them come pitfalls. And the pitfalls, I believe, are in, when, we, when this story is framed in that way, the pitfalls are helplessness. We hear the story, we know what we should do, and we feel helpless. How, okay, well, what is, uh, there is no agency coming out of the story other than us knowing we should be different. And while I can appreciate the aims of those interpretations, I have found that the Lord is taking me a different direction with this story this morning, and, and I hope it's good for all of us. I, I truly, like, I've prayed through that. Lord, would this be good? Would this be new? I don't want to be new for the sake of being new. I, I want to be true to what you're wanting to say, and I believe he has something to say this morning. So, if you would open your Bibles to Mark 10, 17 through 22, I'll give you a second to get there. Mark 10, 17 through 22. Uh, this is a story that's also accounted for in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there is a reason why I chose Mark. One, Mark is recognized as like the first Gospel. Uh, and so I think with it comes um, not, not more uh, attention to detail, because oftentimes Mark is like the bare minimum. Uh, but I love, I love how Mark accounts for it. This is, uh, this is Mark 10, 17 through 22. It reads, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. We're reading scripture and I'm crying. Come on. You know the commandments. You should not, you should not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. 
teacher, he declared, I, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great, great wealth. Whew. Who is this man? Who is the rich young ruler? If left to our own assumptions and embedded constructs, we may infer that this man is pompous. He's arrogant, coming up to Jesus saying, what more must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I've already done all these things. But that's not what he's doing. We have to be careful and go back to the text to challenge our views of this man. Firstly, it says that this man comes before Jesus and does what? He falls on his knees before him. Brooks and Sue both hit on this in their sermons. This is a posture of humility. So maybe this man's humble. Secondly, Next, or yeah, next, this is a man who has a question. He's not coming to Jesus with any assumptions or agendas of self. Simply, he is curious and seeking wisdom from the one he calls good teacher. We'll have more on that in a second. Thirdly, based upon the account of this interaction, this is a faithful man. It doesn't say that like, oh, Jesus read through this guy and was like, well, he actually haven't done this one thing. Jesus lists through the commandments and he actually says, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. And he lists them off. Period. I used to read this as the man interrupting Jesus saying, oh, oh I, I've done all those. I've done them all, because what Jesus is doing is he's actually going through the Ten Commandments in a very odd order. If anyone has insight into that, I've been like, I'm like, why is he giving the commandments in such a way? And honestly, I wonder if it's like the woman at the well where, this, where Jesus, knowing this man by, by the Spirit, knowing this man is like, here are, here are the ways that you've been faithful to the law. Yet, just like Martha in the Mary and Martha exchange, you lack something. You lack something. And that, I think, is the most intriguing part of this man. We also come to find out is that this man had great wealth. And I love how Brooks kind of talked about the leper last week, so I'm going to do a little vision casting with this man, the rich young ruler. This is what that could mean in that day. This man had prominence. He had status in the city. He had security. He had the luxury of comfort in a time where not a lot of people had that luxury. Jesus challenging the man to get rid of his things could have been a response to, I see your generosity, be more generous. Here's something more. Or it could, maybe the man wasn't generous at all, you know? Maybe he was a little bit of a, a tightwad when it came to his finances. We can't be sure. But what we can be sure of is that this man had a deep longing for eternal life. And he came to the right man to inquire about it. In many ways, this man is like us. 
desiring the deepest longing of our hearts, which is to be fully surrendered to God and yet still disappointed because of our seeming lack of faith to do so. But this is only half the story, thank God. Am I right? How does Jesus respond to this man? Initially, Jesus challenges the man in his view of who Jesus is. Look, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And as I read, this is one of the most perplexing exchanges. We know that Jesus can be a little weird in his responses. Like, he can get you off off center with just a response, with a question, with a remark. You come to him with something, and then instantly you're like, okay, the ground that I thought I was on is now out from under me. And you have the upper hand. What I think Jesus is doing here is this man approaches him with humility, says, good teacher, but there's more to this man that he approaches that he has not yet perceived. I think Jesus is challenging this man's view, saying, am I just a good teacher or am I the son of God? Because no one is good but God. You're recognizing the goodness in me, but no one is good but, but God. So who am I to you? And if this man perceives it, if this is the interaction, massive implications now weigh on this man's response. Because this is no longer just a good Pharisee, a good teacher, someone wise, someone smart, someone you'd seek out for some advice. This is God in the flesh. And you have his ear. Secondly, Jesus sees the man and he loves him. This is why I think it's so wrong when we come into this story with loaded judgments of this is a self-righteous man. Which is odd because in that thought itself, we are becoming the self-righteous ones. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. He recognizes the man's dedication but exposes what is still missing. And with this comes an invitation. Come and follow me. If this story is about Jesus confronting the lifestyles of the rich and famous, the climax of this story is the following. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Dot, dot, dot. That's the climax. If this story is about Jesus responding to the self-righteous of his day, which let me tell you, he does often, and his response is much different than this interaction that he has with this man. Jesus deals with the self-righteous. But if, if this account is the account of Jesus responding to the self-righteous of his day, the climax of the story is this. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away. And the crowd's like, yeah, Jesus got him. And we indict ourselves. But what if the point of this story is about an invitation? Then the climax is found in those four words. Come and follow me. And with that invitation, this story becomes agonizingly human. You see, Jesus is responding to this man's initial question and seemingly his greatest desire from what we can read. 
and once he ex- which is eternal life. And once he extends the invitation, it's now up to the man to how he will respond. Do you really want it? Do you really want eternal life? In other words, are you willing to abandon the false securities of life that you have constructed to gain life in its fullest? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. John 17, 3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And Psalm 23, 1 tells us this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you believe that? These verses inform us of what is available to those who seek God wholeheartedly. And interestingly, the passage that comes just before our text today is when Jesus blesses the children. And he says this, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why do I think this is such an important... Why does Mark have these accounts next to each other? Sure, it's possible that these happen in sequential order. It's also possible that Mark's trying to tell us something. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, children, ones who are fully dependent on their father and mother, but for the sake of the analogy today, on their father. And then here comes a man who has it all. He has it all. Yet something lacks. And when contrasted, these stories depict the kingdom of God being inherited by the fully dependent yet tragically missed, though near to the self-reliant and independent. And we live in an age and in a country where independence is celebrated. It's a superpower. There's something staggering about this passage. Uh, that has really convicted me as I've been in it over the last few weeks. Notice this. Jesus does not turn away from those who seek him, but we can turn away from Jesus. I'll say it again. Jesus does not, will not, has not turned away from anyone that's approached him with faith. Yet in his response to the man saying, I'm actually giving you what you wanted, Jesus is responding to this man's deepest desire. What do I have to do? What what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus isn't owning this guy. Jesus is extending to him exactly what he needs. He does not turn away from those who seek him. But that's where this story gets really hard. Because we can turn away. And also what we can do is we can read this text and we can say, well, that guy's an idiot. But why this is so agonizingly human is because this is us every single day. Every day. This is not a story about what to do with your money when you're rich, though extreme acts of generosity should be found amongst those who call Jesus Lord. This is not a cautionary tale 
of those who try to earn their way to heaven, though there's nothing we can do on our own to enter into the kingdom of God. This is a story about a man seeking the deepest desire of his heart and being invited into experiencing the reality of that desire. And said another way, this is a story about identifying the one thing in my life that is blocking me from the one thing that I truly desire. Recently, I heard this quote on freedom. And I'm going to butcher it, but you're going to get the Chase Suey version. Just know that the real version is way better. Um, freedom is not the ability to do whatever I want. It's the, the ability to do what I most desire. That's what we have in Christ. That's eternal life. The ability to wholeheartedly seek after the one thing, that the one place in our heart that we all want filled, but, dot, dot, dot. What is the but? Why is there a but? You guys are going to call me crazy, but the band can come back up here. What's the one thing that's blocking me from the one thing? You know, Jesus, even though he extends the offer, and he still does every day, this story doesn't have a bow on it. And as I wrote this, the Lord was like, you're not putting a bow on this thing. I'm not letting you. I could have, and it would have been less. It would have been my own words. You wouldn't have remembered it. What's the one thing blocking me from the one thing? About three weeks ago, in the prayer room over there, I heard the Lord's voice so clearly just say, you're too safe. You're too safe. And he challenged me on control. For me, it's not wealth. For me, it's the desire to want to control everything. To control my surroundings. To always, you know, be the one with the foot forward on the offensive. And as I prayed through that, he said, wondrous things are just outside your self-perceived self-preservation. And the invitation was for me to find my security in him. Eternal life offered man and I've struggled with it guys and here's the amazing thing I haven't figured it out fully yet but man my deepest desire is like this rich young ruler that I could follow him that I could be with him that he could be my security I could have the weight lifted off me that I have to control everything. It's the moments in life that require the death of me that reveal the true power of eternal life. I am cared for. I'm known and I'm loved. 
I can say that to every single person in here. You're cared for. You're known. You're loved. But it is so easy to forsake the promises and cling to shallow securities and pleasures of the world. So I have to hold fast to the promise of Psalm 37 that says, I was young and now I'm old. For me, it's I was young and I will be old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. A phrase the Lord gave me. And just thinking about how you wrap this thing up. It's just picturing the extravagance of that invitation that's offered still today. And, and many of us have taken up, taken them up on that invitation. This is not a thing to say, like, get rid of this one thing so you can perform your way into the kingdom of God. That's not what this is about. There's extravagance in that invitation. And the Lord just put this on my heart. Extravagant gifts deserve extravagant responses. This story's not about the guy getting rid of all of, his, all of his wealth, but met with the extravagance of that invitation to truly taste eternal life, to follow God in the flesh, to be brought in. Sure, yeah, it probably warrants. Get rid of all this stuff. You don't need it won't need it. Extravagant gifts require extravagant response. And that's what I want to offer us. What would you give to experience eternal life? And where do you need that? The invasion of God breathing into your life, saying, let me take that thing from you, that you can follow me unhindered. What is it? I trust that the Holy Spirit's moving and he's speaking in your heart. We're going to have prayer, prayer leaders up here. If we could learn anything from this story, actually, before I go there, I want to say this. Him leaving sad meant that he understood the weight of the invitation. Like, let's not just rush into, like, understand the gravity of the invitation that he's extending to us, saying, come and follow me. God himself saying, you, I want you, follow me. Follow me. And whatever you think, oh, that's the thing I need to give up, I'll just give that up. If it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't feel like, oh, a death, if it doesn't make you want to well up with sorrow, Lord again, what is it that I need to give up? Because he will find the one thing. It's easy for me I, I, to be like, oh, you know, I just need to I need to do more quiet times. I need to sacrifice more time. No. I want you to get rid of control. Eternal life is experienced with a Yes that invitation and he's offering it this morning heavenly father we love you we recognize that you give good gifts and there is no better gift that you've given us than your son and jesus thank you that because of your invitation that we actually get your spirit within us that we will we we experience wholeness 
forgive us of the things in our lives that we're so easily enticed by. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Lord, but our spirit, the spirit that you gave us is not one of the timidity, but one of power, love, self-discipline. Would we respond in kind this morning to the invitation, the extravagant invitation you're offering us that we may taste and see that yes, you're good and eternal life is worth whatever, whatever the one thing is, it's worth me sacrificing that, that I may have you, what my heart truly desires. It's in your name we pray. Amen.